This is Guy Fieri. Here it is, ladies and gentlemen, the show we've been waiting for. Full of insults and insights, highlights and hot topics, bad jokes and cheap values. It's the one-stop shop for everything you don't need but gotta have. So sit down, hold on, call your boss because you're gonna be late. This is the Opie Radio Show. Oh yeah, and Carl. Don't go Carl a favor and go take a pee oh by the window. <laughs> Alright, I'm pausing this. You're gonna you're gonna smoke. I'm gonna like pee behind one of these trees. We'll be back. Sorry to leave you hanging on the first episode. That was kind of a rookie mistake as I try to figure out this whole podcast thing. I do want to thank you for subscribing to this fine podcast. And if you want to give a few, you know, stars, like five, five stars would rule. So where were we? Ah, that's right. I was outside taking a leak and now I'm checking for deer ticks. And we're going to go right back into the conversation from Carl's Creepy Cabin. By the way, at the end of this episode, you're going to find out why Carl is living in this creepy cabin. Also, uh, we get to find out how Carl became so close with Guy Fieri. And then we'll throw in some other stories that hopefully you'll laugh at. Let's get back at it. Opie Radio. All right, Carl, I want to thank you for letting me pee outside in peace. The cabin is very tiny. You went to the right. I went to the left. And I grabbed the tree. And I got to be honest with you, man. There's something about... You know, letting your letting your uh, letting your, uh, your jewels your jewels. We're trying to keep it clean on the podcast, everyone. <laughs> Going for a bigger audience. <laughs> but anyway, having my jewels out and a nice, nice early spring breeze. Yeah. God, that's a nice feeling. I, I, was, really I nice. was right there behind the other tree. You're a very handsome man down there. <laughs> oh, I'll always brag about that. <laughs> You're a very handsome man. I have no problem You're telling people handsome. that I got a big one. You little Prince Valiant down there. It's not a female in sight, but I'm still telling you that I have a big one. <laughs> anyway, so, um, okay. I'm going to bring it all together because I'm a radio professional. Uh, so you and your brother are drastically different, which I find amazing. He went into the, the medical field and he operates on people that only have a 10% chance of uh, surviving, which got to be good because how, how do you figure out that that person is not doing their job properly? You don't. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, going into it that most people aren't going to survive. So you look at your superiors going, hey, It's like you're a New York Yankee that was hired to strike out right right right, right. <laughs> well he struck out that's what we pay him for and then you're the you're the complete opposite of your brother yeah. I, I would assume i don't know this uh, did you make it all the way to graduation high school graduation yes and no really yes and no he definitely did obviously went all he the way to medical high school, school in a week <laughs> wow was he like a doogie hauser total doogie hauser except the, that chick didn't come through like his bedroom window. Like yeah. it was, he was just Doogie, no Hauser. Yeah. Oh. Okay. But, <laughs> but, uh, and Doogie did not like the girl coming through the window. No, Doogie didn't. Hauser did. Doogie yeah. did not. Doogie was a, a, a great actor he because had this girl. Yeah. Her name was Christine. Okay. She was half Irish and half Japanese. Wait, who's this? My brother. Oh, another one. This was the first one. Right. She was a bona fide. Smoke show. Smoke show. And I loved looking at this girl. Green eyes, but with the Asian face. Nice. The perfect jade black hair. I mean, everything was... I used to sit around and be creepy and like smell her hair. It's like, what's your brother doing? I'm like, loving you. Right. 
You don't like people loving you from afar? Yeah. (laughs) I was the worst kid ever. So, um, loved her. He loved her. I think it's the only girl he really 100% head over heels. Yeah. Did everything for this girl. And she was fine with it. And she liked nerds because she was a nerd too. She's an attorney now. She's a big attorney in in, uh, D.C. With the last administration. Mm -hmm. But uh, my brother would listen to my mother too much. And my mother didn't like her. And my mother didn't like her for a very, it's an embarrassing reason. But, uh, you know, I fought with my mother all the time. But my mother was selfish in the point where she was like, she wanted Latin babies. Oh, she's one of those. Yeah, man. For real? For real. Ah. For real. I oh. mean, uh, she's not going to be happy. Well, she can't read. She's not going to figure out how to podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but um, you know what? I mean, I'll play the other side of that. Right. That's not uncommon. In, in her generation, Obviously. No, not at all. I got a Jewish girl story, if it makes you feel better. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just quick. Because if your mom does get mad at you, then she sees that I'm, I'm helping her out a little bit. So I was in college at Geneseo, and this girl came up. She was visiting one of my floor mates, and we hit it off at Geneseo, drank, fooled around, had a really good time. There was some chemistry there. She's from Long Island. I'm from Long Island. So I go home for the summer, and we exchange numbers. I'm like, yeah, maybe we could get together when I get home. So I call her up excited, and I go to her house to pick her up. I, I, I don't have any money, but I'm planning a nice little dinner date and a movie, and hopefully we'll fool around some more, right? And so I walk into this um, house in Dix Hills, which is Jew central, mm. very Jewy, and I love the Jews, but very Jewy. I walk into the living room. The mom's there, and stereotypically, there's plastic on the couch. Wow. She's in some kind of now. My memory's a little shot as far as thinking back this far, but pretty much, I want to say she had like a bathrobe on. Definitely had curlers in her hair. Sounds like Nails it. were definitely done. I remember all that. And she had a nice kind of like martini type cocktail. And I picked a I picked a Aileen up early. It was about five in the summer. So it's like like today, Beautiful really day. bright and, and sunny, right? I walk in, Aileen, this is her mom, goes, hey, mom, this is Greg that I was telling you about. She looks up from, she's watching TV. She looks up from the TV, takes one look at me. Carl? Knows you're not from the tribe. Knows I'm not a jeh. Right. And doesn't say hi. Of course not. Looks at her daughter like, really? Really? You're going to bring this unwashed? And goes back to watching the TV and sipping on her cocktail. Perfect. Aileen in front of her own mom awkwardly is like, uh, all right, well, uh, you know, I'll be home at whatever midnight or whatever the heck. And we walked out of this house and I'm like, all right, well, I guess we'll have fun today and I'll never see her again. And I never did. Never did. My brother with this girl. So I'm defending your mom a little bit. It's not uncommon. I mean, this woman obviously wanted, uh, you know, little Jewish babies. Right. And it was so funny because my mom, um, she brought this old racism from the Caribbean. The Caribbean's a very racist place, and people don't really understand that. Here, people think racism is black and white. Right. Um, racism is across the board. Yeah, and it's people don't understand and, that. And the poorer you are, the more the racist and the more people are, are spiteful and hurtful towards each other. Right. Whereas I, you know, I'm from Cuban descent, but I was raised here. Right? So... 
I didn't understand the nuance between my mom hating the people from the next town mm-hmm. in Cuba. Right. I'm like, how are you racist against that lady that looks just like you? And what what would her answer be? It, it, it was just years. It was like the Capulets and the Montagues. It was just no one knew why they hated each other, but it's just you grew up and your grandfather said that those people suck. From town to town. Yeah, Hatfield and McCoy stuff. Like it was just, and, and it, was a, it was a crazy juxtaposition for me to be like, okay, um, I'm fighting racism in the United States where everyone's calling me Paco. Yeah. You know, and then I come home and my mom's an elitist. It was just so strange. Mm-hmm. Right? And, Makes um, sense. So I, I, I'm defending your mom and I, I understand it because it, it, it absolutely is yeah. everywhere. It was crazy. And uh, my mother uh, did not like this girl, did not like my brother's girlfriend. And she, she cut, cut her off at every corner, everything, until they broke up. And that's the first time I saw my brother truly heartbroken. Man. And after that, I don't think he ever recovered from that. I think after that, every relationship was a transaction. Right. A very pragmatic, is this good for us? Is this good oh, for the family? Sucks. Yeah, it's a, it's a way that I never knew how to live. Because it's, it's hard to fall in love, if you think about it. It's not that easy. It's the worst it, business proposition. But I mean, it, you know, you fall in love and then you got your parents or your mom saying, yeah, you're in love, but eh, uh-uh. oh. I remember when, uh-uh. I, when you uh, got to fall in love with one of these. Yeah. I remember when I, when I, uh, when I met Marie, my wife, she said, uh, this guy, old school guy from Brooklyn, one of the most racist, funniest, funniest stories I ever heard. He goes, uh, Carlo, let me talk to you for a second. He goes, you're dating a CG? That means Sicilian. I said, yeah, she's beautiful. All right, good for you, huh? That's the setup. You know, here it comes. Oh, boy. He goes, you know what uh, marrying a CG is like, right? I said, no. He says, uh, I'll tell you. He says, uh, you see all these people over here celebrating you when they come to your wedding? You know why? they never seen a talking goat before. Whoa. I said, what? Whoa. He goes, that's why they're here. They come to your wedding because they've never seen a goat talk before. That's a Sicilian. What the hell? He goes, guess what? When you take the goat home, you're going to realize goat's got nothing good to say. (laughs) (laughs) Enjoy your day. Enjoy your day, son. Thanks a lot, bro. (laughs) Open bar, by the way. (laughs) There you go. So, uh, (laughs) So now the question, which was, God, probably a half hour ago at this point, um, was how'd you get into cooking? Right. And so your grandfather, I remember. Yeah. See how yeah. good I'm I'm bro. good at this, bro. bro. You know I'm good at this. Look at me patting myself on the back. Oh, and that sunburned skin cancer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I get it burnt off me oh all the time. So um your grandfather goes to you and basically says, uh, to bring it all the way around, you're not like your brother who's right. very book smart. He's going to be a doctor. Right. They had no doubt he was going to be a doctor in an early age, I'm no assuming. Way. Okay. And went to you and said, look, you're not going to be that. So wh- so that's how you got into cooking, though? So my grandfather told the Chinese restaurant down the street where I lived to give me a job. So at 12 years old, I started making egg rolls after school. And... Uh, that was the beginning of it. That was the beginning of it all. Wait, did your grandfather believe in you, though? 
My grandfather knew. And what did you want to do before cooking? I didn't. I, I think I was too young to know what I wanted to do. And so you, I, I was kind of a. I would mimic whatever my brother would. So it looked. It was it probably looked ridiculous to them because my brother was like, "I'm going to be a doctor," and I'm there with like three boogers out of my nose. I'm going to be a doctor too. Two. They're like, "Yeah, no, man. <laughs> no, you've been eating paint chips for the last hour. You're not going to be a doctor of anything." Compared to your brother, you're like the third version of Michael Keaton in that movie, Multiplicity, whatever it was okay, called. I can explain to you the disparity between. Between my brother and I growing up, right? My parents, I felt it as a young child, looked at me like I was handicapped. <laughs> like that's how much smarter. This Were your parents was. smart? No. Well, my father was an accountant. Well, that's smart. But in Colombia, that's I boring. Mean, smart. No it's offense. Money laundering. It's like uh, five equals a hundred. Uh, okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Next. <laughs> right. And was your ma- mom a stay at stay, stay at, at home, home mom? mom? Okay. You know. So your grandfather didn't really believe in you or wanted just to push you in a different direction? My, he, he had to have known. Sorry, I'm, 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 yeah. I'm going to answer my own question, I think. But he had to know, because I know you. You know, right. we're, we're making believe here a little bit. But I know a lot about Carl Ruiz. Uh, he must have realized that you were street smart and smart in a different way than your brother. But I think my, my grandfather helped, helped me out of fear. My grandfather told me later on in life he thought I was going to be killed on the street. For what? Because he's like, Carl, if there's three kids in the park and one is a full-blown criminal, that's the one you go to. He's like, you just gravitate towards all oh, things. Oh, you always risky. like the bad boys. Yeah, he's the like, bad boys. He's like, you're, you know, he's like, since I remember you, you've been stealing things. You, you. He goes, you were two years old and all you wanted to do was hide. You'd sneak up on people. And, you would hit other little kids. Like he's like, you're that person. So mm-hmm. you have to get busy. Right. If not, you're gonna get dead. <laughs> oh, so he was he was fearful. He was fearful. So he's like, maybe, you know, you could start cooking at least and start maybe cooking move and move down a, another road. And he's because you're very motivated. I am very motivated. And I don't think I don't think that I think that is something that people realize at a very early age. Right. If they're motivated, if they're lazy, if they're I wasn't like, lazy. But but So I, he knew you were motivated and just knew he had to direct you a little bit. He basically said he's like you got to get this kid a job at night cuz if he's walking around at night, he's going to get killed. Right. So you were making egg rolls. So I was making egg rolls and then uh, Did you like it? Uh I I liked it. I liked the camaraderie. I liked the exoticness of just hanging out with a bunch of you know, Cantonese dudes. Right. And they liked me because I was a hard worker. And I listened to everything and I could absorb it and I had good hands. You know, I could make stuff. Right. And I didn't ask a lot of questions. I didn't make a lot of excuses. And they liked that. They liked that I was tough. And they used to always say, like, you're tough for a Western person. You're tough. Right. You're, you're not tough like us, but you're close. Where were you living at this point? Um, Brooklyn. Oh, Brooklyn. Oh, Okay. And you didn't call it in. You worked hard right away? Every day. I loved it. You loved it right because off the I bat. I saw that the hierarchy, the hierarchy in the kitchen was all based on hard work. So the respect that you got, where you sat during family meal, if they made you clean green beans during dinner, it's if you worked hard. So I would see myself move up the table, the hierarchy. Next thing you know, I'm with the main Chinese, with the wok guys, you know. And I would and I and I would help them, and they would help me. I would they would be like, "Hey, Carl, like in broken English, where we buy weed?" Oh, really? I'd be like, "No problem." And how old were you? Twelve, thirteen. You know how to where to buy weed at twelve? Doesn't everybody know where? Oh, bro. And it's just um, we became we had that that relationship where they trusted me, mm-hmm. you know, and that's where I learned a lot. Of stuff. Was it a nice restaurant or is no, it just a hole in the wall? Dump, dump, dirty dump. 
Anyway, when did I'm you get the bug? Like, I'm I I want to do this for a living. To be honest with you, I never got it. I just would you rather be doing something else? I didn't. I don't know anything else. It was. I started at such a young age. Yeah, but I and it was so comfortable. Yeah, that I think I liked the lifestyle around it. At one point, that's when I actually I did know when I had the bug. I was dating this girl, this this Cuban princess. My mother was happy now. I was in my late teens. My mother was ecstatic. Beautiful Cuban girl from a wealthy family. And everybody in the house was like, yes. Her father owned two supermarkets. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this girl loved me head over heels. And she was a great girl. And one day she says, Carl, why don't you uh, come work for my father and leave the restaurant business? I said, Mm. I don't know. I told her, I, I don't think I can do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, where am I, I'm going to leave my boys. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, but I, this was still before I got any notoriety or before I was anybody, you know, before I had any, you know, uh, before yeah. I had a calling card, before people knew I was the can opener. You know? So I said, oh, maybe I'll give it a shot. My mother's like, you should do it. You know, because to her, it's like unifying the families. You know, now the supermarket family and the Ruiz family are coming together and, this is all she ever wanted. This is what my mother wanted. Exactly. Little Cuban dynasty. Right. <laughs> she said she should go to a doctor. So, <laughs> so I'm like, all right. First day, Opie, I get there. And I walk into the supermarket. And he hands me a leaf blower. Right? And he goes, do me a favor. And he starts treating me like... I'm not dating your daughter. They starting to treat me like an animal, right? Now, I come from a level of hierarchy in kitchens where I'm pretty high. Yeah. And at this point, I'm paying my own way. I pay my own thing. And you know what I mean? I'm, I'm my own person already because I've been making money since I was 12. So right. I really don't, I'm, I don't, I don't really listen to people that long before I take off. Cues me the leaf blower. He starts it on my back like I'm Buck Rogers. All these things, he goes... Go blow the driveway. Get all the junk out of there. And if you see any needles and stuff, just throw them in the garbage because it's in a bad neighborhood. The minute he walked inside, I put the leaf blower down on. I got in my car. And that was it. Really? That was it. After six year, five year relationship with the girl, everything, that was it. That was your crossroads. Everybody's calling me. That was your crossroads. I said, I will never do that again. Wow. What was that all about? So then fast forward. So then you moved on from the Chinese restaurant? Moved from the Chinese restaurant. Then I started working in, in, in higher ed. Then I met this guy. His name was Steven Santoro, who passed away this year of cancer. He was one of the best chefs I've ever, I've ever met in my life. He was a CIA instructor, which CIA Culinary Institute of America. And he took a liking to me. And he says to me, he says, uh, you ready to work hard, kid? I said, yeah. He said, I'm going to make you one of the best. How old? How old? Now I was 19. Oh, so now fast forward seven years. So I yeah. would assume th- those seven years you were in and Humping out of all sorts of kitchens and gotcha. unnotables. Right. You know, I was scooping ice cream, but it's always in the, in the right. Kitchen. But this is the guy. He was like my Mickey to Rocky. You know what I mean? He's the one that, that made me a machine. And I, t- I went home and I said to my mother and father, I said, uh, I want to go to culinary school. My father goes, that's for gay people. Did he really say yeah, that? Yeah, you're done. That's for girls. You're not doing that. Uh, We're not paying for that. How do you, you get past that? So I got a job. I, I got to stop you. Yeah. 
I, I went into radio, obviously, right. you know, so at 18, which was like, you, you, you get a what? <laughs> right. And most parents, this is why I'm stopping you because right. it, it, it kills me to hear this. And I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones and you're one of the lucky right. ones. So I told my parents, I want to, you know, I, I, I don't want to ever wear a suit. No offense to people that wear suits. I don't want to wear a tie. It's not for me. To this day, I, when I have to put a tie on for a wedding or something, I'm just like, when can I take this right. off, right? So I went to my parents with my dream. I want to be in radio, maybe TV. Right. And I was scared. I was scared, even though I, my parents were pretty open about it in general. But still, you're finally coming to them with your dream. Right. And my dad was like, go for it. He's like, you're going to work a really long time in your life. Find something you love to do. Yes. He couldn't have been more more awesome about it. Yes. My mom, definitely cool as well, but was always like, well, make sure you you know, you know have something to fall back on. Right. You know, uh, I was at Genesee at the time. I'm like, all of a sudden, classroom stuff didn't mean anything to me. I'm like, I couldn't wait for classes to end so, end so I could go to the radio station and start doing this, right? right? But my mom's like, you know, maybe computers. It was, it was, you know, mid-80s, you know, computers were coming. So I got a computer uh, minor. Who cares? You know what I'm saying? Right. But my point is I had a lot of friends growing up that had dreams similar to mine, whether it was like, I want to be a race car driver. Right. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a musician. You know all the fields. Right. And their parents shut them down and said, oh, that's cute, but right. hell nah. You're going to the biggest university for um, you know the, the career path that is really hot right now. Right. I'm trying to be vague because I don't want people to know I'm talking about them. And I saw it in their faces. They were so defeated at 18 years old. Their path was already made for them. Like, no, my parents don't believe in me. Now I got to do what they're telling me because I'm still under their roof. And they... They did the university to the safe job that had a decent living. Now you have to buy a house. Now you got to get married. Now you have to have kids. And I see some of my old friends from from the past. They're fucking miserable. Let me tell you something. Miserable. So I had to stop you there. Your dad basically was like, you're not going to culinary school. That's not a, that's a school for maids. Right. So (laughs) no, but so was your mom the supportive one or were you just tucked in behind my father because she didn't feel like it was prestigious. So, and and what really hurt was I was under the shadow of a kid who was on a trajectory that was academic. Yeah. To them, you know, remember to, to, to South American Cuban families and all these families, Advancing the last name, advancing your family stature is a big thing. So they didn't know how to detach their dreams or their broken dreams because their, their dreams were stillborn. Yeah. Because they moved to another country because their country sucked. Right. Basically. Right. right. So they had to go into manual labor. You know, my dad was a accountant. Now he's a tire man. You know, my mom was a princess in Cuba. You know, just take, you know. My grandfather was an engineer. Oh, my God. And now she has to sew clothing in Union City, New Jersey. So all these things that that were stillborn in their life, they throw them on to you. Now, my brother was a pack mule. He was able to take all these dreams and carry them. Right. I had no part of it. God, you just hit another thing that is awesome. Like when you're in a cab in New York City and you actually talk to the cabbies, 
you know, most New Yorkers are like, well, I ain't talking to that scum. Right. I talked, I try to talk to everybody. It's in I my blood. I don't like those people. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love your, I love your honesty. So, but when you do talk to the cab drivers, exactly what you just yeah. said, I'm, I'm from Nigeria. I was in medical school yeah. in Nigeria yeah. and, I, and I'm in the back seat. Like, how the hell are you driving a cab then? That creates but, an unbelievable level but of But you come, you, you have uh, prestige in the country you're from. Right. But the country sucks. You move to America, which is a much uh, better country. But your position but socially is down drops right. dramatically. Dramatically. Wow. All right. So, so how do you get past the fact your dad's like, no, I'm not. I don't want you to go to culinary school. So I don't take no for an answer, right? I um in life, I think what I've learned in my 43 years of being alive is there's two types of people. You're only 43. Yeah, but like Chef 43. <laughs> I'm 112. <laughs> I'm like Yoda. <laughs> so I believe there's two types of people in the world. And this is just for me living. There's survivors and there's victims. Same problem, two different takes. Right. There's, um, there's people that something bad happens to them and they're like, everybody hates me. The world hates me. And they're done. They're done. Dead flower. It ain't happening. And then there's survivors that said, oh, yeah. Oh, really? Let's rock and roll. So I was lucky to be a survivor, you know, the way that I look at things. And my father said, that's gay. I'm like, gay, where did you get gay from? I'm like, dad, most chefs are, are male. He's like, yeah, gay. Right. <laughs> I'm like, all right, this is going nowhere. But what did he want you to be? Anything but professional. A lawyer, like, an accountant, like, you know how, like, a parents, doctor. When your kid really sucks, yeah. you hear the same thing. You, he's going to be a lawyer because he's good at arguing. Shh. Him trying to convince you that he wants a chocolate chip cookie is not going to get him in front of the Supreme <laughs> right. Court, mom. <laughs> so, enough, right? So they had all these paths for me, and they kept downgrading as they started realizing how stupid I was. They'd be like, you should be a doctor. Or a paramedic, or maybe a nurse. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe we should clean the hospital. Like, you know what I mean? But they still wanted me to be in that level. And what I did was, I talked to I talked to Steve Santoro, and I said, "Listen, Chef, um, I." He goes, "You work for me for a year, and I'm going to write." Sign Wait, you weren't working for him? No, this is when I started. This is like a, a week started for him. Two weeks. He goes. Wait, so he hired you as a chef? He or? hired me as a salad guy. Salad guy, but he saw something. In and he the, says, okay, you're, you're, gotcha. you're one of them. You're one of us. He knew. He knew. And he said to me, listen, I'm going to get you an externship in France and Italy in a year. You got to save up money. You have to work here in that year for free. I said, how the hell am I going to do that? He goes, you want it? Figure it out. So I go to my parents. I said, Dad. They said, working for free ain't working. So we can't help you. Oh, man. So I said. Driving oh. me nuts today. <laughs> so I said, I said, okay. Because soon as you said that, I got it. Yeah. Working for free ain't working. No. but uh, they, They're like, that's white people hobby stuff. No, but I get it. And you got it, right? right? So I said, okay. So Like it was invaluable that year to yeah, you. It was invaluable. It was going to set up everything else. It didn't matter to them. Okay. So what I did was. Took me about a month, and I fa I would look at the classifieds in newspapers and stuff, and I saw a place in Elmwood Park that needed a gas station attendant from five in the morning till three in the afternoon. Ugh. Now to get so the restaurant shift started at three thirty in Passaic, New Jersey, this restaurant called Dish. So I got that job. 
So I would work at the gas station all day and then cook all night for a year for free. Wow. And I did it. So that's a long day. Off to Europe. And then, uh, and then I came back badass, you know? Right. And, I, and what made me badass wasn't anything I learned, Opie. Wait, so who sent you to Europe? Steve. He said, now you're going to culinary school. Did he pay for it? Yeah, all set. Did he really? All set. Because he knew you worked for free for a year. It's like, all right, this guy wants it. He calls up and he got me. It's not a culinary school. It's like externship programs. He didn't believe in culinary school per se. He thought it was stupid. Um, He's like, you know, we're like blacksmiths. You have to learn from the best. You know, and I did. And he he sponsored my way in. Because you can't get into these kitchens unless you know somebody. Right. It's a a big hierarchy. So I breezed right through. And to this day, you know what? I didn't learn that much in Europe. I didn't learn that much under Steve. What taught me everything was working at that gas station and then humping it. Of course. That's what made me tough. Totally get it. You know what I mean? Totally get it. The rest, you know, baking a duck. Right. That was, that took me an hour. Right. But But to know that someone can't stop you, that's what changes everything. Right. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Because a lot of people don't know, the people that do know you from the Food Network and everything else, like, you're, you're, you're a trained yeah. chef. Yeah, like, yeah. like, highly trained. Like, highly trained, yeah, yeah. Like, like the echelons of, yeah. of, of your profession. Because you, you, don't, you don't play it. I don't. You're down wanna, and dirty, man. When someone you. sees you, you're down and dirty. I'm a fighter. The other day, I'm at this, here by the cabin, there's a local bar. And I'm sitting at the local bar. And this kid, maybe, I don't know, 25 years old, sends me a shot. Take the shot. He comes around. He goes, oh, I saw you on grocery games. The kid's drunk. He goes, I don't think you're that good. I said, you don't. Well, fine. He goes, I can cook better than you. I said, where do you live? Right now, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, kid. One in the morning, I'm at his house. Come on. Yeah. I'm ready to take it to the bar. You talk to Roy. You can tell him. He, like, everyone at the bar showed up to the house. Really? Because everyone around here is like, that's the kid from the Food Network. He is going. You know, I'm in this little town. They're like, Carl is going to go against this whatever name at his house. Right. I get to his house. The kid starts pulling out chicken. He's going to do, like, a chicken franchise. He's shaking like a leaf. He sees me there. I got my knife. On my belt. He's like, what is this monster? And I'm just standing there, just staring at him. I'm like, you go first. I'll cook second. He goes, but there's not going to be any food left. I'm like, whatever you got in your cupboard, I'm going to (laughs) win. You know? Not even five minutes into it. He turns around and he goes, I'm too nervous. I I can't do it. I go, don't ever do that again. Bravo. Take me back to the goddamn bar. (laughs) Bravo. And the whole town's like, yeah, you're a punk. You know what I mean? (laughs) But you got to put up or shut up. Of course. You know what I mean? And that's one thing with, even with the Food Network, when I started the Food Network, and that's why I think the work ethic is everything. When I started the Food Network, um, they'd call you. you know, they'd- well, you know what? Hold that for a second. Sure. Because, first of all, on a future episode, I want to hear about your time in Europe, because I'm sure you've got <laughs> stories to tell. My God. We're just, we're doing broad strokes right, today, right. but that's something I definitely want to oh, focus that on. that's awesome. But, um... So, you know, obviously the Food Network, you got to the Food Network because of Guy Fieri. Absolutely. And I met you because of Guy Fieri. Yes. Because I'm trying to bring this all yeah. around. How did you meet Guy Fieri? So, 
I was the chef at this very famous busy restaurant on 14th Street in New York City called Son Cubano. And it was a Cuban restaurant. And we were doing about $250,000 a week. It's a lot of volume. And what were you there? I was executive chef. Executive chef. And how did you get that gig? Was I got it by, I got it. Was it your first job after Europe? No, no, no. It was uh, my third job after Europe. So how old are you now? Uh, Ish. 14 years ago. So 20, late 20s? Late 20s. Okay. And I'm living in the city. I'm making $150,000 a year. I'm living on 79th in New York. Bone single. And I have access to every restaurant after it's closed in New York City. Do you understand how fierce my dating life was? (laughs) It was, they used to call me the Black Widow. So we used to have, I mean, back then, I used to have a network of maitre d's and GMs. Right. We'd call each other. Because there'd be girls, there'd be waitresses that just got into New York City. So I'd be like... We got three new ones. They're from California. Oh. This is their first job. Chef, why don't you come in for a drink tonight? And I would come in. And I was the icebreaker. And I would come in. Like, hi. And they'd be like, oh, hi. I'm like, oh. And I had a business card and everything. And I was young. And I had hair. And I would talk to them. And then just like, oh, let's show you around New York City. So we had this influx of girls. We, I mean, it was, it was whatever you wanted to do. We could go to Yankee Stadium after it was closed. We could, you know, we'd be on a seaplane going to the Hamptons because you knew everybody. Right. I'd be drinking $5,000 bottles of wine. Jesus. We'd be at the 21 Club at 4 o'clock in the morning partying. Jesus. Like, it was whatever we wanted. Right. The world was all our oyster. And all we, all we were was a network of chefs. And someone would call me like, oh, I need a reservation for my wife. It's my anniversary. I need to get into the hardest restaurant in New York City. Call the Cuban. Hey, how are you? Hey, Carl, can you do me this favor? Yes. What would that yes get you? It would get me a free weekend in the Hamptons. It would get me to use your house or boat in Montauk. It would do, it would do, it was, no money was, 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 was traded, but just this respect and this, you could do whatever you wanted. And it was some of the best years of my life. It was like living, I lived like I made $5 million. Without without it, I would stay at the plaza. How how did you survive that? I I think I died. Uh, I might be a ghost. I mean, my partying years were in Buffalo, New York, Rochester, New York, and I say I say that thank God that's where I did my heavy partying in Manhattan. Manhattan. I would I would have no way would I I I would have survived. Opie, I've heard every story. Were you opening up uh, restaurants at night? After the fact, to have parties and stuff? That was what we did. Because I heard something in there and I wanted to tell a quick story. So you know my brother Brett, who owns F.H. Riley's. That's why I think me and you hit it off, because you remind me of my brother a lot. And he's a hard worker like you. He's a tough dude, man. And he he had the tough path. You know, he went into, you know. Everything hurts. Pretty much what your story is more or less his. We all have the same. It's funny. He started young and had to work his way up. And now he owns a a great restaurant in Huntington. But um, he fired his twin brother. Because of opening up restaurants oh, at yeah. night, so my brother is working at Friendlies. Right. I mean, now he, he's got his—he's well established, has his own place, but he's slaving away for everybody else, like we've all had to do. And he's literally like a rock star for Friendlies, but not being paid. But you know, he pretty much is running the joint, and he hires my brother because my brother is like. 
no offense to my his his twin, but I mean he did very well with his life as well. But a fuck up at the time. Right. So my brother's trying to take care of him. He's like, I don't know, you know, after the restaurant closes, we need a cleaning guy. You mop the floors. You you right. clean this and that. Clean the bathroom. Porters. Right. Exactly. And my my brother Quinn needed a, a, a gig, so he's like, all right, and he you know he takes the gig. And my brother Brett, like you, because he has good instincts and he's street smart, is like, man, something's not right. Something's not right. <laughs> so he goes up 25A to this friendlies that's still there to this day, even though they split into it, you know, two establishments. And there's my brother having an after parties at after party at friendlies. Oh, that must have been a good after party. After party, he's firing up fribbles. the grill. He's oh, not a yes. He's not a cook. I want to be invited. Scooping the ice cream yes. and making the cheeseburgers. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be there so bad. Those are the best parties in the world. Because back then we all drank in Huntington, and now right. now my brother, you know, he's like. Ah, the bars are closing, but I got the keys to Friendly's. So he's having this crazy after, crazy ass after party, and my brother being the my other brother being the responsible one had to go in, and he fired his own twin brother for having these. After yeah, parties. you have to. Sometimes some people, some people, some people, sometimes people got to get hit, right? <laughs> but the thing is, is it was funny. So we used to have a thing called high. So you're gonna love this, Opie. Mm. So when you control an after party, there comes a point. Where the girl that you like or whatever, or the guy that like, whatever, whatever side you're on, they give in. They realize that you're running the whole thing. So we used to call it the high moment. So I'll explain to you what a high moment is. And it's one of the best feelings in the world. I would throw this party, go to my friend's restaurant. Hey, Carl, what's up? So this girl, you've been hitting on her for two hours yeah. at a regular club. Well, you got a free bottle of champagne with a sparkler, but it was nobody's birthday, right? And we're drinking champagne and stuff. And then, oh, it's closed. Where are we going to go? So it's 4 o'clock in the morning. Oh, I want drugs or whatever. Everybody's there. Everybody who's bad, it's like Misfit Island. Everybody that's awful is in this party. Yeah. Crazy DJ. Oh, Danny Tillivit. He's here. You know, everybody. And we're all in this West, you know, village restaurant, 4 in the morning. Music as loud as you could imagine. Everybody sat dancing and everything. And then the girl starts to finally realize... You run the show. So it's time. You're the guy. You're the alpha. Right. So you, I would be sitting in the corner and I would know, I would feel it coming. And I would go sit at the corner of the bar, get my little bourbon, and here it comes. She would come and she'd be like, Hi. Got it. Close the deal. All right, guys. Have a good night. See you later. Like, you got the high? Got the high. See you later. That's awesome. And that was it. <laughs> That's it. And then you would, but you would have to cut it off there. Right. Because if not, You'd be partying there until 7 o'clock in the morning, and it's guess what? Girls are like vampires. Once they see the light, you're done. Yeah. They don't want it. That's it. You got to move in the dark. So, <laughs> you got to move in the dark. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not a looker. You know what I mean? I look really bad at 6 in the morning. <laughs> so, um, so, once you got that high, we lived. And it was just this language that we spoke, and it was great. And you know what? It was so fun. No one got hurt. It was all pros. We all had a career. So, it wasn't like... You know, you'd force yourself on people. It was all natural. Yeah. Everybody wanted to be there. Right. Everybody wanted to hang out. That's awesome. You know, and then someone would make a mistake. Like every once in a while, like a GM would marry a high. Right. And then all hell would break loose. How bad are you bummed that we had to share the one beer you have I, in your I'm not cabin here? Lights. I mean, I'm not 100% I'm not, happy you drank. I don't want light. Well, you know what, what else you got? We should go down to the bar. 
Well, no, I, we're gonna finish. I gotta, I gotta find another tree. I know you're dying for a cigarette. I am. I asked how you met Guy Fieri. Why, why did you drink this so much? What do you mean? We shared it. I wanted to open it because usually you take like a little baby sip and you're. No, it's really good. I know that's not good. I mean, this is a hard beer to get. Oh really? Yeah, you're cool. bombed. Yeah, it's cool. Are you kidding me? We were drinking the the Founders CBS uh, Imperial Stout brewed with chocolate and coffee, aged in maple syrup, bourbon barrels. You know what? I tasted all of that because yeah. most of, most of the time when you, you that's know, cool, man. It's empty. That's cool. No, no. I mean, I, well, stop talking about it. Stop talking about something that died. No, but uh, but I'm gonna explain some food knowledge you to you it for so once. Fast. You never drank it this fast. Half the time when when some you know they describe a beer like it has a hint to this or that. This one is actually. I I tasted right? all that. Exactly. Because half the time, like that's ah, just BS. It, yeah. It's founders, just I don't I don't think Founders makes a bad beer. It was excellent. So I asked you how you met Guy Fieri, which which leads to us meeting, and right. it'll be a great way to you know wrap sure. up this uh, sure. first episode of the Opie Radio podcast or show or whatever the hell we're calling it. So you go do a cigarette. I'm going to find another tree. I'll you know, watch you, and we're going to wrap this up. Let's do it. All right. The Westwood One Podcast Network. The Ugly Truth with D.L. Ugly. Join us on the podcast. It's Trey Gowdy. I got to tell you, I'm a liberal, so sometimes I am excited by you and sometimes I'm angered by you, but I think in general, you're a pretty fair guy. Well, you know what? If it makes you feel better, sometimes I am angered by myself, so you're not alone <laughs> in that okay. feeling. The Ugly Truth. Download and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Westwood One Podcast app. Free, Free. from the Westwood One Podcast Network. OP Radio. So I'm sitting here in Carl's cabin in the middle of New Jersey in the woods. Like it's unbelievable how quiet it is out here. Isn't it beautiful? I, I took your lead and I took another leak outside. Okay. I, I chose another tree, I know which exactly was nice. The tree you chose. And uh, and I saw deer in the background. Isn't it nice? Just deer, just frolicking, yeah. enjoying an early spring. I hate deer. <laughs> you hate deer? Why? Because I just think they're aloof. The way they judge you from far away. You like they, they all look at you and they prance away. You think they judge? And, yeah, because you make all your like, like you're a city boy, right? So you make dog noises because you think it's a giant dog. And they right. go, duh, 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 duh. <laughs> come here a little bit. And he's like, ah, uh, no, I'm leaving. You're a weirdo. See, I, I lived in Western New York for a long time. Right. A lot of deer up there. A lot of deer that get hit by cars. Yeah. A lot of deer. When, when I used to drive home from Geneseo and then it was Rochester years later and then Buffalo after that, you know, you would always see the cars coming back from their hunting with right. deer on the top of their, uh, you know, uh, on top of their cars. You ever hear a deer cry like a baby? Yeah. You have? Yes. For real? Yes. And that's why I can't hunt. Really? Call me a... And I'm not against people that hunt. I just know I can't do that. They they make a crazy noise. Right. It's not even a baby. It sounds almost like a peacock. But what happens is... I'm not a gun guy. Right? I'm not... I just don't... Right. I'm not a gun guy. I don't think it's fair for the animal. I mean, Carl, you need a gun up here in your cabin. I didn't say I didn't have one. Oh, I okay. I said I'm not All a right. gun guy for hunting. Okay. Um, it's kind of easy, right? Bow hunting, you have to get a lot closer. You can't smell. It's a true sport? It's a true sport. And I believe in the sport. Give the thing a shot. So you're, you're against... The, no, I'm the, not against anything. No, I don't care if you show up with a howitzer. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. 
Oh, so where are you at? All right, because you say it's a, you know with a bow, it's more of a sport. But yeah. how do you feel about these guys that spend whatever it is, a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars to hit some farm in the middle of Texas, let's say, and literally the animals are sort of drugged and, and I, they kind of think they're drugged. They, they kind of take old a, and they're fed. No, I understand that part of it, but then it's like. They jump on a golf cart, get really close. Let me tell you how I feel. Where are you at with that? Let me tell you how I feel about hunting. And maybe this is not going to sit well with people. But I believe when you hunt, the animal, killing the animal is just 5% of it. I enjoy the stalk. I enjoy the animal predator part of it. I get that. I enjoy... Being able to blend into an environment that something is very good at and beating it. Right. So that's what I love about close contact hunting. You know, like I know a couple guys in Hawaii, they go after wild boar with a knife. Wow. And they learn how to. F that. How to go after a giant wild boar just with a bowie knife. That's hunting. And they're vicious, right? They're very they're aggressive. Vicious, but guess what? Yeah. For that one second, yeah. you're more vicious than a wild boy. F that. So I believe, I have amazing respect for bow hunters, for, for you know, free hunters and, and knife hunters. I just think uh, shooting something at 400 yards, you're more of a sniper, then you know you don't you don't have to be that quiet. You can sit tight. Um, I see a lot of people with you know they put the deer cameras or they or you know my friend's a hunter right and it's not even hunting. He goes to an area and he puts a deer feeder there. So these things have been eating dry corn for four right. days. It's basically putting an Applebee's in the middle. Oh, so they're of the coming forest. right to you because and they- then he puts it right against the head and he puts it on the wall. Not my thing. I like I like feeling like an animal. Right. I like outsmarting an animal in its own environment. I don't think, um, you know, having a 308 and just punching a four foot hole inside right. of an animal. I don't. Th- I don't know what you're doing. Right. I, I, I'm, That's just me. No. But I, I'm against the the hunting farms where like they pay a lot of money and the animals are obviously they would argue they're old. So, but I'm with you. Like if it's a if it's a sport and you're really it's taking skill. And you're you've got to track them, and right. I, I'm I'm with you, and, and absolutely with hardest, you. And one of the hardest, but, but to to lay out, sorry, now yeah. you got me going. Right. But to lay out feed, knowing you know, training them that this is where the food is, and then I'm kind of uh, two weeks from now. Yeah. Now you're showing up in a nest, right. you know, a hunter's nest. You got cameras, you got nah, pictures man, of nah, them and stuff. You're that, using technology that, that it's not using, right? right? But I believe, hey, let's go out in the woods. And let me tell you something. When you go out, when you go out raw like that, I mean, you have an idea where they are, but they hear you from a mile away, and and animals communicate with each other in the most. And when you get to watch an animal for an extended period of time, you become that animal. You understand their movements. You know, like to the average person, like a little head fake that they do, they're telling the other people, like, yeah, yo, something's up. You know, and I and I love that. Part of hunting. I love sneaking up on things. It's one of my favorite. Since I was a little kid. When I was a little kid. You know what I did for a little while? Hmm. Where my parents thought I was crazy? I would dig ditches and cover them in leaves and just watch people fall into the <laughs> <laughs> I 
love you. <laughs> <laughs> so like all the other kids reply, tag, I'm right. building a hole. I got, and then I get cover it. it and then just watch like <laughs> Brian Langpoot from down the street just get crushed <laughs> in this little ditch. How dumb is he? Oh, I was a little smarter than him. And it would make my of week course, of when course. I would see this little dum-dum with his ice cream running across the yard and whoop, he was gone. Of course. It, I loved it. Right. I loved it. My parents, they found it so unsettling. Yeah. That I'd be in the, I'd be in like what I thought the woods, which was yeah. this little plot of land between one house and another. Right. And I would track the neighbor. That's hilarious. I would track the neighbor for a week until I figured out where he would walk to, to make the shortcut. I'd yeah. build a ditch there. Well, anyway, the leak was good. Saw the deer in the background. I'm speeding this along because I, I noticed that the sun is starting to go down and I don't want to be at your cabin when it gets dark. Me either. Can I go? <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're going to go get a bite to eat yeah. and hang out with some townies. But yeah. so uh, I asked you how, how you met Guy Fieri. So I was working at this restaurant, Son Cumano, and I was at the height of my craziness. And back then, Guy Fieri was on a show called um, Next Food Network Star. And it used to be live to tape. What live to tape means is they would film on Monday, show on Tuesday. I went, I ran out of lobster one day and I go into this little market. And on top of this market is where the Food Network shot this show. So he comes downstairs and I just intersect with him. And I'm in my chef jacket. And I go, your guy. He goes, yep. I said, you're going to win this thing. Food Network store. He goes, no, I don't know. I don't know. I go, trust me. Here's my card. If you win... Come and have dinner. So he looks at my card. He knows it's a good restaurant down the street. He goes, oh, you're the chef there? I go, yeah. We part ways. Two weeks later, I'm watching on TV that he won. Not even 45 minutes later. Mr. Uh, chef Ruiz, there's a guy, Fieri, to see you. He's upstairs at the bar. He came to the restaurant. Wow. And I cooked for him. And he goes, holy shit. You're incredible. Wow. I said, thank you. He goes, listen, I'm embarking on this new TV thing. Could you come to leave everything and come to California and help me work at my restaurants? And I look at this guy and I said, this guy's going to be somebody. This guy, is, this guy has a star quality that I've never seen before. So I looked at him and said, yep. So I resigned from the restaurant, got on a plane, flew to California. Wow. Overnight. How, how long you you live out there? Three years. Wow. Three years. So we're going we're gonna to tell the stories of you in Europe. And then the stories of you in California. California. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. A New Yorker in California. And now this is Northern California. Opie. I love Northern California. I've only been twice. Oh, it's beautiful. I, I you know. It's one of the most beautiful places on earth. I, I've gone to San Francisco twice. Yes. I was in San Francisco when I found out I was going to be a dad. Wow. Um, I went the first time to see my old college roommate that lives up there. I was supposed to do a, a, a quick little trip i was in lake tahoe skiing with some old radio buddies How from buffalo tahoe. amazing loved it and it was when i was fired uh i don't know i've been fired a bunch but you i think? was fired and i was uh on the beach as they call it in radio for like two years so i was traveling everywhere and i was in lake tahoe with my old buddies in buffalo and i had no life and it was time to go home to New York. And, you know, my, my buddy who lives in San Francisco is like, why don't you come see me? My old college roommate. I'm like, yeah. So I, I rented the last car in Lake Tahoe. <laughs> when I was off the air for two and it was a little over two years, I was constantly ripping up plane tickets. I, I surprised my brother, Brett, who owns F.H. Riley's to a, a, a trip to the Grand Canyon. Great trip. Started in Sedona. Drove from Sedona to Beautiful. the Grand Canyon, which is 
it's like God's country. It's so ridiculous how nice it is. If you if you drive from Sedona and, uh, to the Grand Canyon and don't appreciate that ride, then you're, you're not human. You're dead inside. You're dead inside. Yeah. So we have this great trip to the Grand Canyon, which I could tell on a future uh, podcast. Isn't that place majestic? Ridiculous. It's, it's one of the few places that I've gone that I'm like, okay, it was worth it. Yeah, of course. And you realize how insignificant you are and blah, blah, blah. Oh, my mom did a good job and of that. I don't have to go to the Grand Canyon for that. <laughs> so then we had this amazing trip and I drive us back to Sedona because uh, we're, I think we're flying out of, uh, help me, Phoenix, I guess. Yeah. Did I fly into Phoenix? Yeah. I think. And got him first class, really went all in. And we're at the airport. I wanted to make it dramatic in a way. I'm like, Brett, that was such a great trip. We had a great time together. And I go, have a good flight. He goes, what do you mean? He turns to me and I go, rip. Ripped my plane ticket in half. Didn't give a crap about the money, nothing. I'll go, see you later. He goes, what are you going to do? I'm like, I'm going to drive to L.A. now. Good for you. And then I ended up hanging out and living with my agent and whatever. But I did that a lot. So, Are you single? Yeah. How, ma- how many? I, I, I put up numbers. Good numbers, right? Good numbers. Solid numbers. West Coast. You put up <laughs> West numbers. Coast. I belong on the West Coast. I put up numbers on the West Coast. I'm like exotic. I'm like a fat <laughs> unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm in Lake Tahoe. Same thing. I was supposed to fly home. Right. Looked at my old friends and uh, I was like, eh. And at that point, I didn't really have a plan. My my, Like I said, my old college roommate was sort of hinting, why don't you come see me? Ripped up a ticket. It was my thing. Rip up the ticket in front of everybody. But that time, it was like, that was a little risky. So then I'm like, all right, I'll, time to rent a car. All the car rentals, I couldn't find a car. And I finally found, no joke, they said, this is pretty much the last car in Lake Tahoe. Drove this horrendous car all the way to San Francisco. And I was supposed to be there, I don't know, maybe a couple days. And I was going to figure out a flight home. And I was there like two weeks. Loved San Francisco and the entire area. It's beautiful there. Growing up as a very close-minded kid with a strict mom, you hear San Francisco, all you hear is gay. And you don't... And, and it's it has nothing. It's a no small nothing part is, of the city. It's but like, I was going to say nothing against the gay, but that's what you, you hear. San Francisco is this is ignorant. Uh, of course, thank you. And yeah, I mean, go with that thought. It's ignorant. I mean, I you know I'm in San Francisco all the time. If you are a heterosexual male, it's a very target rich environment. What do you mean? There's a large gay community of males, but there is a larger community of single. Women. The women in San Francisco crush L.A. Crush L.A. Women in L.A. are not my thing. But San Francisco, the women in San Francisco were way hotter than L.A. And they're all alone. Way hotter. They're all alone. (laughs) But when I was walking around San Francisco, I was in thinking, my point is, I was in thinking, I heard my whole life, San Francisco, as soon as you hear San Francisco, you hear gay. And, and look, it's not like that. It, not against any of that, I, but I'm just telling you, right. closed-minded, strict parents and all that. And then I finally got out there to see my, you know, my college roommate. I'm like, there is so much going on here. This place is amazing. It's a bit liberal. I well, lean what, a little what, left, but not that. I'm not that lefty. One good thing about the gay community, especially out in the West Coast, is as a heterosexual. Having a large gay community lets you say things that you can't say, like oh, really? on the East Coast, like. 
when I'm on the West Coast, I can be like in a room full of girls. So I'm like, I'm sad. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, that's all right. You know what I mean? Like, if I'm in New York and I'm like, I'm sad, they're like, go to a doctor. Right. What's wrong with you? You can show your feminine side. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm the whole time, you. I'm like, that's I'm hilarious. Like, oh, my God, I love meringue. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, my God, cupcakes. So, and it's totally cool. Because as men, Right. My wife talk about this a lot. As men, we're not really allowed to show our. No. Family. And every male has a feminine side. Oh my god! And when I'm F in you if you don't if you disagree with yes, that. Yes, I'm in but, California crying, eating ice cream, watching <laughs> rom coms, like, and they're just getting wet. Oh my god! Because <laughs> <laughs> women want you to show a bit of a feminine, oh, I, I, a I bit think of I emotion. I the whole time I'm in California. <laughs> I'm just a basket case. But I. I would move to San Francisco tomorrow if that was an East Coast city. That yeah. place is... A, I mean, it's crazy liberal, though. Let's let's not, you know... Let's not uh, underplay this. But I, we, surface, but what, my, my roommate was uh, taking me to all sorts of killer restaurants where the homeless... Like, we're talking expensive restaurants, homeless mission laying yeah. out all yeah. over this. You're literally stepping over homeless people to have an amazing meal, and the whole city just accepts that whole vibe. Well, the weirdest thing that happened to me in San Francisco was something that's only happened to me once and happened to me in San Francisco. I was coming out of one of my favorite restaurants and I'm walking down the street, had a couple beers in me, but wasn't paying attention. I stepped in human poop. Wow. That, with everything I've gone through in my life, that bothered me. Yeah. You know, it was just, I couldn't get clean enough, Opie. It was, it was something that... I get it. It stopped me dead in my tracks. The smell. I, I, I knew I, I knew immediately from the slip yeah. of it, from the, the, the moisture content of it, from everything. What just Oh, happened. you know, you know right away. You know, away. You know no, right away because you could feel the greasiness of exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> it's because dog poo would be like it's got you know, a different texture. You step in dog poo, you stop immediately. Human poo, it's you're going to slide. Oh, my God. <laughs> it is so slippery, and you can't get it off. Mm-hmm. Opie, I left my shoe right Oh, there. no, I've thrown sneakers away after... I got into a cab yeah. with no sneakers, and I didn't think of any other logical thing to do. Yeah. There was no way I wanted this shoe on me for another second. Right. I don't, I don't know where we were at, but San Francisco, <laughs> oh, Guy Fieri, yeah. Northern California. Yeah. yeah, San Francisco is a special place. It, it's I, lo- I loved it, man. Yeah, it's Not a good walking town for me because I'm a little heavy. With the hills, hills and stuff? Yeah, man. Sidewalks with stairs like carved into the sidewalks? Dude, you, in San Francisco, where you leave me, chances are that's where you're going to find me. Right. Like, I'm not going to I don't know how you, you survive if you're an older person in San Francisco because you are, even if you're in shape, you're huffing and puffing. Yeah. And the trolley system sucks. And that went to Muir. Is it called Muir Woods? The, I know what you're talking about. The yeah, petrified yeah. far. Yeah, oh, my beautiful. God. We loved it. Yeah, so I went the first time. And then I, I told my you know now wife, you know, oh, my God, I got to show you this place. Alcatraz, the whole thing. Beautiful. I loved it. And and uh, that's where we found out what, you know we were going to be parents. Good for you. Which was a pretty uh, special I took moment. my wife there once. She didn't, she didn't like it that much. <laughs> That's why you're in a cabin now. That's why we're in a cabin. <laughs> so anyway, so uh, that's how you met Guy Fieri. Yeah. We'll tell Guy Fieri stories later on. So do you remember when we first met? Yep. You, you were in studio with him, right? Yep. I was there setting up. Uh, we just opened uh, Guy Fieri's New York City restaurant, right. Times Square. Right. And we're, we're cooking burgers for you and Anthony. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Guy entertaining as all hell. Oh, I mean, he is a consummate entertainer. And, and I'm going to kiss his ass too because, you know, when I got fired from my last job, 
I've I've known I've met a lot of people, a lot of celebrities, a lot of people I think they were my friends for real. Right. One of the calls was almost immediately Guy Fieri. Yeah. I was in shock how I got fired, and we could expo- we could talk about that yeah, on a future episode. No problem. Episodes. No kidding. But I'm like, this is a good dude. Yeah. He called me immediately. I think I was fired. You must have told him. I was I was fired. Maybe no. He called me. Oh really? He called me. He's like, how's Ope? And I said, I'll call him. He's like, all right. I was. I he was, called you that same day. No, I wasn't good, and we'll talk about that yeah. another day. I mean, I went through therapy, meditation, yoga. And I'll, I'll mention this now. This will be a future episode. I saw a shaman. <laughs> and that's the, that's the reaction I wanted. <laughs> what did you do? What did he give you a pair of nunchucks? Oh, wait till I tell you that. A shaman? An actual How rich are you? shaman with the tribal drums in my building in Manhattan. No. Waking up the neighbors. I'm like, he came to your, your apartment? Your beautiful apartment with it's drums. It's our story. He came twice. Make sure Vic Henley's here for came that. Came twice. You you recalled the shaman. Who do we need for the shaman story? A shaman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want Mike Cannon. Mike Cannon would be great. I want him. And Vic and Sherrod definitely. Oh my God, Sherrod would be. Oh, like, you guys are gonna beat the crap I out of me. I can't wait. He came to my apartment twice. The shaman. Yeah, meditating, shooting arrows at all my enemies. He shot arrows, like real arrows? At all my enemies during meditation. Was I? Did I get hit with an arrow? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know what's going on now. I'm so confused. No, that's when I knew you were a real dude. Because he, <laughs> he said no arrow. I go, what about Carl? He said, nah, nah. No arrow for him. Nah, Carl was cool. <laughs> right, Carl. <laughs> Carl was in a pelt fighting your battle. <laughs> I saw, I, saw a is, I saw a shaman. This is creepier than your neighbor holding your hand listening to Beatles records. <laughs> no, he wasn't holding my hand. Oh, it was close. He wasn't holding Look my hand. Look at how you framed the story. Well, it was snowing <laughs> out. I saw a shaman. Oh, man. I don't even know if my wife wants to tell this story. I don't think I'm she t- does. I'm, I'm going to speak for your wife. This is a bad story to tell. And... I got to say this carefully. Please, because I'm already on the fence with this whole podcast thing. You with the shaman. I was scared I snorted heroin. What? Never done heroin before. Me either, but how do you... You'll know. Did your nose burn? It's a story for another podcast. Yeah, you think? Yeah. For a while, I thought I might have snorted heroin by accident. By accident? Yes. No, no. I'm paranoid of all hardcore drugs. What? How are you in an... We got to settle in and do the shaman story on a future Did he episode. bring the powder with him? Yes. So you thought it was you did... part of the whole thing with the tribal drums and the meditation and the Reiki. And is this on Craigslist or Angie's list? <laughs> <laughs> Where, no, he's a legit guy. Okay, I understand it, OB, but what do you... you he raises bees. <laughs> I want to fight this guy. I'm going to hit this guy with a bat. This isn't real. <laughs> it's real. Opie, you know how in I In a hoity-toity with- apartment in Manhattan, a shaman came over with all the stuff. What stuff? Like, like... Heroin neck- pouches? Bone necklaces and... No. And leaves that he had to rub all over me. In and- Manhattan? Yes. So he drove his little smart car up to your house with all this shit. No, this guy is that. No, he's the real deal. The real deal of what? I don't know. He wasn't faking it. Let's just put it that way. 
There's fakers out there. This guy believes everything he was There's doing. There's a guy on Third Avenue that throws believes. poo. He ain't faking it either. <laughs> no, this guy believes. Jesus. I got to get Mike Cannon for that episode. Anyway, you so Guy Fieri. Go ahead. Guy Fieri was one of the, not I shouldn't say the few, but I was very surprised when I got fired. Right. Who reached out and who did it? Right. Guy Fieri was one of the first people to reach out right. and goes, Oop, I believe in you. Whatever you do next, I will be there. He actually said, I'll do the first podcast because I started saying, eh, maybe it's time to podcast. He goes, I will do the first one with you guys. That's great. He's a good and guy. I, and as he said all that, I believed every word he said. He's you, genuine as, 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 it, as it comes. I'll give you a quick story. I can't tell you the whole story because I don't think, no, you know, I'm not even supposed to talk about it. But when I was in California living with him, I got into a lot of trouble. Really? How old were you uh, for that? In my 20s. Oh, Jesus. I mean, Opie, a lot of trouble. I get it. I got in my lot of trouble I in Rochester, a- New York, and Buffalo, like I said earlier. And thank God I did that. Because if I was in Manhattan, California, I don't think I would have survived. I got into so much trouble that I ended up on a plane without telling anybody back to New York, just run from the law. Really? Yeah. And left uh, left guy high and dry. Really? Yeah. I just cut the, all the cords. You're not allowed to tell the story? I could. Do you want to hear the story? Yes. Dude. I was sort of starting to wrap up, but screw yeah. it. So um, we're at a bar. I'm in a company van. I get a DUI. I kind of hit a cop car. <laughs> I was wasted in a company van. I get locked up. You know, they get put away. The minute I get out of the, out of the jail from being locked up, I get on the first flight from California, and I come to New York, and I cut all ties. I didn't know what to do. I was like, I can't believe I just burned that bridge or whatever. I, I, I just... You I just left them high and dry? Just left out everything. Out the, out restaurant, of, the restaurant was like two weeks before it opened. Like, out of panic. Out of panic. You're like, D- he's not going to understand this. He's not going to understand this. I just here. ruined everything. Wow. I'm out of here. I'm, wow, just, wow, I, I'm wow. just ejecting out of this situation. Right. That man, with all the power that he has, didn't, didn't call me up. I didn't answer. Called me up for like a month. What's going on? Didn't answer. Finally, uh, six months later, I call him and I says, I messed up, huh? He goes, real bad. He goes, you put me in a giant problem. You probably cost me a million bucks with your crazy shit. I said, "Uh, Guido, I'm sorry, man. You know, I just, I didn't know what to do. He goes, come home. Took me back. Wow. Nothing. Now... It's at his, the height of his fame. Like, when he's still going up. When, when someone like me is an absolute liability. And he just... He said, whatever happens, happens. You're my boy. You know what I mean? You, wow. You've been nothing but, nothing but good. You had this problem. And that taught me everything. You're getting a little emotional. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, he's a good guy, man. Dude, spider! There's a spider! I didn't believe you. There he is. We're in Carl's cabin in the middle of the woods in New Jersey, and he told me about the spiders, but I killed as many that's as the I first one I saw. Yeah. I, I killed as many as I <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, Guy would, would do my show yeah. on a regular basis. We hit it off. Absolutely. Love the guy. And then you would just pepper. Like, Guy is right. a, he, he's a great personality. Oh, he's just big. He's giant. We don't even need to say that. But... I was like laughing at Guy, you know, and he's telling these stories. And I'm definitely into it. And then I would, 
you would be peppering from the side, knowing your place. Right. No offense, but knowing your place yeah. in that situation. And but you would pepper like you know you were meant for this. And right. You would get your lines in, and I'd be like, God, ah, another funny line for this guy. <laughs> Who's this guy, Carl? <laughs> you know, whatever. So. Then guys started coming, you know, to the, to Sirius XM, and he had a lot of shows to do. And there were times he went, he was there, but he couldn't do our show because he was he promised other shows. Right. And he would be walking. Look at that spider! Damn, quick here. What kind of spider is that? Scree- scary, creepy, creepy. Spider. Have you been bitten by the spiders no, in the cabin? I, I kill them right away. Sometimes when I see more than two spiders, yeah, I put the whole place on lockdown, yeah, and I don't go to sleep till nothing moves. <laughs> Wow. Anyway. He's really taking advantage. So he'd walk by the studio and wave. And you'd be following behind him because every time he was in New York, you went with him. And then I, something, because of hearing you peppering with those lines, like there's something about this guy. Right. And you walk by the studio and I know you weren't busy like him. You were more there to support. (laughs) You were there to support. So I waved you in. And then that's how, you know, we bonded and became friends and did some fun radio together. But it was just because I knew I couldn't get Guy, but I remember you being, you know, pretty... And getting me was basically because you could talk about Guy and I would still be in there. Right, right. But you've always been like that. You've always knew who was funny and who wasn't, and you were fast like that. Well, I appreciate that. So, but that's how we got together for the people that are wondering. And it's, uh, yeah, we've been doing this ever since. Yeah, and now look at us now, huh? That's half of the world. So finally... Look at a spider. <laughs> <laughs> So f- I know that spider is rocking. He's basically saying, "All right, wrap it up." If you weren't here, I would kill him a hundred times. So obviously, you know, I came up to your cabin here in the middle of Jersey, and uh, I, you know, why are you in this cabin? I know, but what do you want to say? We're still working on it. Let's just say me and Marie aren't in the best place, right? Right now, you know, it's a it's a lot. It's um. Now, Marie is your, your wife? My wife. Still wife? Uh, for now, yeah. All right. For now. <laughs> you know? Um, it's just uh, a lot of things have happened this year. We're growing in two different... Well, no, I'm growing. She's not. She's just angry. She's <laughs> just angry. Yeah, she's angry. But, but How it, long have you guys been together? Nine years. Wow. Nine years. And it was hard. And I knew it was, gonna, it was an uphill battle from the beginning. Right, you know, I you know she you know she came with two kids into the relationship. Um, she comes, she's had a hard life. She wants things her way or the highway. And if you know me for more than five minutes, you know I don't care what you want, <laughs> you know. And uh, it's just two alphas, you know, two alphas, and uh, it got to a point where it's like the war of the roses. Really, that bad? Oh, Opie. See, that's one thing I, about you I didn't know. Yeah. Did not know you guys are having problems. Oh, I don't. I don't. You guys really... hit it well. I would see you guys at Marie's and Chatham. And it seemed like you guys like were on the same page as far as the restaurant I don't, goes. I, don't, I think we, we only we didn't socialize a lot, obviously. No, but... I mean, me and you have, but I mean, you know, you and uh, Marie. I and we. I don't think we've we were on the same page for a long, long time. And I think what happens is the the travel and everything. It really. You know, you just status quo. You just keep pushing, you know, kicking the can down the road. And then until it explodes. You know what I mean? And this last year has been. It exploded. Yeah. When you start to find out stuff about another person that you just don't like. <laughs> you know? What do you, What can you say? I mean. I don't want to push. Not it. yet. I mean, for another podcast. This is I know be, the whole story. I know so, you know the whole story. But the thing is. And I'll wait know, for you. Yeah, wait for me. But, but, but basically what it is is. Um, 
when something can go as catastrophically wrong as it possibly can. It sucks because there's two kids involved. And, uh, you know, I just want to make sure the kids don't get weaponized and, you know, everything, right. even though that seems to be happening anyway. But it's just, it's just very difficult, especially when you're a stepdad and something goes wrong in your marriage, you're automatically the odd man out. You know, the mother and the children, no matter, yeah, what, no matter what you did for them, they unionize and they become this little cluster. And then you realize overnight, you've lost everything. Right. Emotionally, wow. everything just shuts off. Wow. You don't, you, you don't have one person angry at you. You have one person, two children. You didn't just lose your wife. You lost the kids in this too, more and or less. And it's overnight. Like it's have you like, talked to them since? No, she shut it down. Because I know you guys, I, I could say this, you've been separated for a while now. Yeah, for a while. I mean, I knew something was up when I when saw I'm you. living in a barn. Well, I saw you Instagramming this cabin. I'm like, all right, what is going on? You're like, no, man, I just like living in the woods. Well, because, you know, you're trying to fix everything. <laughs> no, I understand. I'm, 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 you know, I'm trying to make it, you know, lighten it up a little bit. But I knew right away. I'm like, oh, shit, yeah. something's up. You always have that hope till the end. Like, I'm not a quitter. I don't like to give up on things. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, you know what? Maybe we can fix it. And, you know, because the, remember, I chose to get married. It's not like the, there was no shotgun. There was no reason. Right. I, it wasn't economical. I brought all the cards to the table. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think maybe that was the problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? At the end, you know, I'll just leave it at this. So, you know, sometimes people love you and sometimes people need you. And there's a big difference. Whoa, that's like a cliffhanger. <laughs> that's Awkward. <laughs> wow. Uh, I mean, you know, I'll follow your, your lead on that, obviously. I know all the stories. and There's some stories in there, huh? And that's that That leads us to uh, Carl's Cabin. <laughs> I like the vibe here, though, man. It's a little unibobbery. You can focus. Oh, right. We haven't it's, seen a person. But I think it just it sets it. Right. We're like the chili peppers, right? Oh, Making an album. I mean, Westwood One wants me to be in a fancy studio in front of, like this I said is earlier, fancy private bathroom. This is like, this is what I want. It very like, intimate, right? And it has the woods and everything. No distractions. No distractions. Right? We could just blow through it. Yeah. Doesn't How uh, freaked out would Chris Stefano be up here if he saw that spider? He'd be done. I was trying to get him. Oh my god! He's like, dude, I got a meeting with Comedy Central. I'll do the next one. So no, you won't. No, we'll get Chris to step I in. hope so. We'll get all our pals. So, you know what? This is a good place to end it. Um, we, we move on, and I'm, I wanted to start at Carl's Cabin because I love this guy for real. <laughs> I really like doing radio with him, but I love this guy. Thank you, Opie. Um, he's, he's a very good friend of mine. We hit it off immediately. So I was like, I start with Carl. I go to his cabin, and then now we move on and we grab Vic. I kind of have that 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 feel like let's get the band back together yeah, for the big, people that remember Shabbat, the last episode the of the yeah. radio show, which I loved doing. Um, there were only two times in my career, and I've been doing this a long time since I was eighteen, and I'm and I'm no spring chicken. Two times I was feeling it uh, when I met Anthony, and we were on a rocket ship and became in incredibly successful. And then there were certainly some real down years there, without a doubt, that we could talk about on future episodes and then the last year i was at sirius xm i met uh well carl i met before that but carl vic henley 
Sherrod Small, Chris Stefano. You throw a little Theo Vaughn in there and Doug Benson and a few of these other Doug guys. Benson. And I was feeling it again going, this is why I got into radio. Right. I only felt it twice. And I was feeling it that last time with that last uh, version of the radio show. So that's why it was such a bummer. Such funny shows we had. I mean, it was a mi- I know it was working. That's why it, it, it drove me nuts when they gave me the pipe, as Brother Weeze would like to say. Right. We're going up to see Brother Weeze, by the way. I can't wait. We're going up soon. I have such a real soon. co-host. What's her name? Uh, Deanna King. Oh, she's a smoke show. <laughs> um, I'm, going up, I'm going up single now. Creep, <laughs> too. Forget it. Forget it. Wow. She rode you for a little while because you wouldn't take a picture with her. Yeah, but uh, we could talk. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> No offense, but I mean, Weezer's had so many co-hosts. I, I, you know what I mean? I was like, I want a picture with me, you, and Weez. And I wanted a picture with her the whole time. I'm like, come on, Ope. And she was like, she got very offended that she wasn't in the picture. Yeah, but I, I've known Weez for like, God, at this point. I have a crush on her, so I'm going to take her side. I think. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, we're going up to Rochester for, I can't to wait. do a podcast. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll do a, like two or three up there. But anyway, what was I saying? So, uh, yeah, that version of the radio show, I freaking love so when i got the pipe as brother Weeze would say i i was so depressed I, you I were was visibly pissed pissed and depressed because because it's so hard to get a radio show that gets traction right. it's so hard to get a podcast to get traction but that was new exciting it was working the feedback was great we were selling out uh comedy shows yeah. not that we did a, a lot but we were they were selling out it was could have kept going and going. it was working so uh, it was it was a tough one. It was tough. So all right, he's yawning. We got to get out of here. I'm not yawning. I'm just fat. And I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> this was a lot of fun. So I want to thank Carl Ruiz for having me up at his cabin. Yeah. We're doing this together, by the way. I guess they're going to build me a studio, but I'd rather do this out and about. Is this fun? Instead, can, of, can I ask you a question yeah, about the ahead. studio? Is the studio going to represent anything like the equipment that they brought you? <laughs> <laughs> With, with knobs and meters, nothing digital whatsoever. Uh, we've been. Are you with Westwood One USA or Westwood One Chechnya? I, I, I did three hours with you in your cabin, and it, I just noticed that it's recording in mono. Oh my <laughs> god! <laughs> <You're the worst>. <laughs> <laughs> Got to start somewhere. What a mess. I know how to build things. Don't worry. This is going to turn into something. So, but I'm. I don't know if I want to do this in a studio week after week. I yeah. love the vibe of just getting out there and doing it this way. I'm glad you came here. Yeah. I really am. And no one's doing it this way. See the birdhouse that I I built? So I built this birdhouse outside. Yeah. So I could see the birds. Look how dumb I am. I didn't put a little little, uh, (laughs) piece of wood by the hole. No, they can't. They can't so stand. No. So the birds fly into it. They hate it, right. and then they leave. You need to like. You need something they could stand yeah. on, and then they could go into the little hole. Yeah. And you need a little like feeder tray. Right, bird birdhouse expert. I didn't know. I didn't know any of this birdhouse whisper. I got one at my beach house. Uh. And I'm like, ooh, another sparrow. Sparrow. <laughs> <laughs> and then you learn the black crows are just nasty. Black crows are people. They're nasty. They're reincarnated people. And and yeah, I believe that. Yeah. I don't know if I believe that I just said that, but uh, it keeps all the other birds away. The blue jays, they're monsters. And the Orioles, black crows are monsters, and the cardinals—they're they're just animals. Yeah. Uh, anyway, all right. So we're going to wrap up. Uh, thanks to Carl Ruiz. This uh, has been a lot of fun. We had some fun. It's the Opie Radio podcast. It's free. 
So do me a favor, uh, go to opiradio.com, maybe buy some merch. I'd appreciate that, to be honest with you, because we're giving you the product for free. So maybe buy something. Yeah. I'm sure we'll have a uh, Carl Ruiz shirt up there soon. I got a nice dip shirt. We're going to do a Beyond Reproach shirt. You want to do that? Yeah. All right. It'll be up on opiradio.com soon. I like that. Carl Ruiz on Twitter. Also, Sabor Chef on Instagram. Instagram, yeah. You're one of the better Instagrammers out there. I have fun. For real. I have fun. Yeah, I um, I don't have a lot of followers, you know, twenty thousand or something. No, yeah, but yeah. everyone's legit. It's like they, 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 people just everything is oh, very, comment after comment after just. I'm very competitive. I'm like, he's got half the followers of me, but he, uh, what? He's getting twenty thousand freaking views on this video. But I'm putting a picture of cheesecake. You're no, taking you're a good. picture of a tulip. No, your <laughs> your food stuff is look. Yeah, it's food. You as people know, I'm not a foodie. No, whatsoever. But I, I'm a good listener, and you've taught me a lot. You and eat well, though. Even for not being a foodie, you're, you're very opinionated. You're like, I don't like that. I like this. But I love your take on food. Before that, I'm like, eh, who gives a crap? Right. But you explain in such a way that it's really interesting. It is. For real. That's so common sense woven into it. So it's Sabor Chef on Instagram, Carl Ruiz. How do you, how do you say your last name? It don't matter. You, you, you will not tell me the Ruiz. Pro- Ruiz. Ruiz. Is so, what all right, Carl Ruiz. Just however you want. R-U-I-Z. All right. And I'm uh, Opie Radio on Twitter. And let's see, Opie Radio on Instagram and YouTube yeah. for all the videos. We're, we're going to make this a very visual podcast as well. So it's Opie Radio on YouTube. And I think that's it. I think and we did a call. Westwood one for the sick equipment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you watch what we do with this. Oh we start God. from a... Sh- oh, sorry. Can we? Can we? I was going to say we, we started we, from a shitty cabin, but I do like the charm of this place. You're just going to call my cabin shitty? Yeah. Oh, mother. And then I got away with it, and then I couldn't help myself, and I had acknowledged <laughs> that I was saying that. It's a little small, Carl. That's all. And you're just bigger than normal. It's a little small. At five seven. I can run through this. But almost. you watch how this grows. The and cabin we, or the, the the podcast? Oh, I thought you. Were oh, and the cabin because you already told me uh, your plans for this. Yeah, I'm which is pretty them. cool. I'm going to get a new window. All right, we're babbling now, guys. Thank you so much. We'll see you on the next episode of the Opie Radio Show. See you. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.